0: Welcome back to XR at Work. I'm Scott. And I'm Dane. And that's us. And we are excited because today we've got a guest and we don't have to just talk to each other, Dane. Um, (laughs) We've got someone to talk to. Tell us who we're talking with today, buddy.
1: Yeah. So today we're talking with Chris McGlone from Abbott. Uh, Chris is the director of training and education and is doing some really exciting stuff in the space. So Chris, I didn't do you justice. I'm going to hand it over to you to do a fuller. Uh, intro. All
2: right. Thanks, Dane. I'm honored (laughs) to be introduced by you. So I I do appreciate Uh, that.
1: Don't be too honored.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my name is Chris. Uh, I I work at Abbott. Uh, I'm an educator. I began my career as a mechanical engineer, uh, uh, emphasis on robotics uh, from a a school called Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. started to work in healthcare at a company called St. Jude Medical. And from there, decided to get my MBA and shift a little bit more towards the business side. Um, So I started at at my company about 15 years ago now, been here for quite a while. And uh, it's been great. I started a little bit in marketing, did a little bit of sales, actually, which was a, a really great, fascinating experience. And then from there, moved more into the training and education role. So I. Spent a little bit of time as our manager of sales training. So first just focused on training our sales reps. They've got to learn a lot of clinical and product information, Um, have to learn how to understand what the customer's needs are and and talking to physicians and helping them out with whatever they need. And then um, my current role also includes responsibilities for physician training programs. Hmm. And so we connect uh, physician faculty to other physician trainees and they share Insights, ideas, techniques, clinical data—all of that. So that's a little bit of my background and, and how I got here.
1: That's awesome. You know, it, it's uh, we've talked to quite a few people in this space, and something that always strikes me as interesting is that you know everybody has a different background, right? Like you have an engineering background, and I mean clearly you've done a lot of different things, um, but you know everybody in the space seems to. To come from different places. So it's, it's cool to see the diversity. And I think that speaks a little bit maybe to like the human experience that, that XR, you know, provides, um, and that you kind of (laughs) need, need, you need everybody. Right. Um, so that's, that's really cool. So tell us more about kind of your, your role, you know, within Avid as far as the, the XR leader, you know, what are some things that you guys are working on? Um, are there any particular technologies that, That you're focused on you know currently um tell us about that
2: yeah well i can remember my first xr experience i remember we had we had someone come in and and show us uh, a simulation basically so i put on the the vr goggles and um i think this was kind of a standard intro training experience to learn how to use the the controllers and i remember i was in this um this trailer with this like floating robot and it started handing me all the, you guys, you guys are nodding. like. You've done this <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, uh,
2: yeah. And, and, uh, it's, you know, it's handing me these little cassettes that I stick into the computer and it, yeah. it creates these things. And then I pick them up and I interact in that world. And I remember, I remember the physics of it. You could pick up all the junk that was in the trailer and set it down and mm-hmm. stack stuff on top of each other. And, um, a couple of things were really striking about that. The first was, that um that when i i took off the uh the goggles that i actually my first feeling was a little bit of disappointment about
0: about real life i
2: was looking around i was like we need to paint the walls in here <laughs> and um and so that was kind of my my first feeling because it was it was so cool to be in there um but the second thing is is right now as i'm describing it to you i'm simply describing to you my own lived memory and I could not do the same thing with, um, describing to you the last PowerPoint presentation that I built, <laughs> you get you that right. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, and so I'm not describing a training experience or I'm simply describing like something that I did, just like I could describe to you the last time that I went to the beach or went for a hike. Uh, and so that, um, that really, that caught my attention for sure, but that's not the the reason really that, that, um, that my team and I have focused on extended reality, that's, that's a little bit of the icing, but really there's the cake underneath it, which is the actual value. And for us, it's about impacting patient lives. Mm -hmm. So it's about realizing that this technology is able to create those experiences for others and not just playing with a robot in a trailer, but the experiences of. Uh, talking to another physician colleague who's done this procedure before, and it can explain to you about, well, you got to angle your hand this way or make sure to be looking at, at that vital signal. Um, and, and really, ultimately, by helping to advance our, our doctors along that learning curve, that really is where we're, we're impacting patient lives and human lives. And so, um, yeah, so our group, our training and education group, got hooked a little bit. We got the fix, but, um, realize there's a, a lot more to it and there's real value here for our organization for sure. But then ultimately for the, the people that our, our doctors are serving.
0: But you, but, you don't get tired of that, that kind of initial excitement. I call the, 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 oh shit moment, right? When people <laughs> first go into to VR and it's like, oh crap, this is, I mean, yeah, you still, I still love seeing that. Right. And you see it all the time. It's, yes. it doesn't lose its, its uh, excitement. Does it? That's right. It doesn't at all. It doesn't.
2: And that's, it's a key part of it is you are giving experience to somebody.
1: Yeah. You know, that the, as you were talking through, you know, the experience piece of that uh, in, I kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, like when we first started the, the discussion, like I think the power of the XR technologies is that it is that it's so close to like what the human experience is like. The, and that's why it's so impactful. Like, you know, you were mentioning, you know, being able to m- remember that scenario. Uh, I went through a, a soft skills training early on in my, you know, kind of VR adventure. And, um, you know, I had to, I had to fire somebody and it, like this guy is not a real person and it's been you know three years since i did it and i still remember the guy's name it was barry and like i think about barry from time to time you know and it's like you know what a what a crazy technology that like you can have an impactful experience like a, a in a memory that sticks with you um and i think that's a, a lot of the value is you know the experiential piece of of the interaction and, and the emotional connection too you know like there's there's arguably different ways that um vr for instance could be applied in a business you know we do a bunch of manufacturing stuff um but i I think the soft skill stuff is interesting too it's just it's different in the way that you measure success and you know things like that so i'm interested in how you guys measure you know success when you're talking to a surgeon or you know, somebody like that, is it, is it an experiential thing? Or are you collecting data and being able to determine proficiency based on that? Or, or how are you guys measuring that?
2: Yeah. Excellent question. Uh, you mentioned the emotional piece. That's part of, of learning.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So for us, how do we measure success in terms of learning and education? It's advancing the user's knowledge. That's really what it is. So mm-hmm. we've, um, we initially built out an experience where it was, it was very high end, high tech. We had this new technology that allows you to look inside an artery essentially. And you could actually see the the plaque inside the artery. You could see how it's inside the arterial wall and you can then make clinical decisions based on that. And so we wanted to create an experience for that. This was the first one that we did. And, um, So we created this very high-end, very intense experience that was advanced. That At the end of it, if you had gone through the entire thing, you would be pretty well set to use this technology for a procedure. And we initially deployed it. um, And you talk about the definition of success. Well, if success is people enjoying it and saying it was cool, then it was successful. (laughs) If it was getting doctors to use the technology to get better outcomes for the patients. It wasn't because we deployed it at a trade show and we were so excited to have this new technology. We just invited anyone who was walking down the aisles to come use it. Right. And so of course they, they had a, a good time. They thought it was fun, but, um, but I wouldn't call it success. So since then we thought a little bit more about, well, that very question, what is success and. And really it's about moving the the learner through the learning curve. And this is true for all of us. We all go through phases of learning with some new technology or adopting something. So we'll start with just awareness. I get a sense of, I know this technology or this tool or this solution exists. And that's the first step I went from not knowing it existed to it does. And I I know the basics of, of what it is. Then from awareness, we all go through exploration, which is, now that i know what it is let me ask some challenging questions of this new process challenging questions of myself like would if i were to start doing this if i were to apply this new workflow would it fit into my life would it fit into the way that i'm doing my work now what would be the cost how would i have to change how would i have to relearn things that i already am am expert at and so and if we ultimately get through that exploration phase We cross this decision point where we say, yes, I will learn this. So now I've gone through awareness and exploration. It's time to make a decision. Uh, I have said yes. Now I start building competency. I've got the why that justifies all this investment in learning the new technique or the new workflow or whatever. And I start to build competency and eventually I become competent, but then there's always those who, who want to fully maximize something, and so they'll move from competency all the way over into mastery. So for us, when, when we work with doctors, uh, we try to move them from stage to stage and it would be totally, it it would be pretty naive to think we could move someone from awareness to mastery. That would have to be a pretty phenomenal circumstance. Uh, maybe you could, you can move someone more quickly if they're a a sales rep because they work for us and that's their job and they've already come in knowing they want to get there. But for a, a someone who's, who's part of a different organization, you got to move them stage by stage. And if you don't, it, it short circuits their learning. Basically, if you try to move too fast, it's like, I don't know, you sit next to that person on the plane, a stranger, and then they automatically they're like, so are you married? Like, what are your hopes and fears? And you're like, yeah. Whoa, I just, I just met you like, let's go stage by stage here. Yeah, yeah. it can be the same thing with learning. We try to rush them through. So our definition of success has been moving them through step by step, piece by piece. So clearly defining that use case. I simply want to help them explore a new clinical topic. And that helps to then clarify that use case clarifies what what XR solution we use and and how we deploy it.
1: That's. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, it's cool. Like those steps that you laid out are pretty profound, I think in the way to also think about where you introduce the technologies to people, you know, where they are on that, uh, on that spectrum, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of depends like, so for instance, if it's somebody's first time putting on an Oculus, then you're not going to jump into the advanced yeah. you know, training. <laughs> like, you know, you may have yeah. them, Uh, do the the training that you talked about where you put in the cassettes into a a computer you know for instance and so i was i'm interested in uh before you even get to that point there's like this adoption you know phase that you go through as well Uh, so where in that kind of learning you know in those steps of learning that you talked about you know how do you think about adoption in each of those steps or or like what's been your experience with uh bringing these to to surgeons for instance and and having them put on a headset like are they thrilled to do it at first or are they kind of skeptical of it or um...
2: most most are are pretty thrilled mm-hmm. when we started this a lot of it was um just before and just during the pandemic And so as the pandemic started, no one was thrilled to put on a headset (laughs) that someone else had just been wearing. Yeah. Um, But uh, but the the excitement factor is is pretty attractive. And so everyone's willing to put it on and experience it. But what we've taught them is that that VR is cool, but we haven't necessarily taught them to treat that patient in a better way. Mm -hmm. And so. to make sure that adoption that you're talking about, I think the, the openness to the new solution of XR is what I've seen is it's by and large there. If you want to make an impact, that's really where the targeting of the use case is good. So we, we had built one, for example, that we, we thought would be ideal for, um, for physicians, for practicing physicians. And when we started to deploy it, we noticed that they lost interest after a little while. And basically what it was was we had built a, a case that they could they could watch a procedure that another physician had recorded in the past. And they see these procedures all day long and they don't need to watch it for 30 minutes. They need to know the highlights, you know, this 15 seconds here mm-hmm. when I made decision X instead of decision Y. Mm-hmm and so we did lose a little interest there and actually ended up uh cascading this vr solution a little bit more to fellows so these are doctors who are still in training in their specialty becoming interventional cardiologists or vascular surgeons and those fellows are hungry for information and so they were willing to watch the entire case so it was it was it was the right solution for a different group that we hadn't anticipated but the adoption piece, um, uh, yeah, I found they they welcome the technology, but the the adoption and then learning from it is really about knowing your audience and making sure to give them what they need.
0: Hmm. You know, so something we talk about a lot, Chris, in in our circles of XR practitioners is is um, the complexities around just the mechanics of uh, managing and deploying and scaling, you know, XR. I mean, what have you run into around um, you know, going from two headsets to twenty or more. I mean, um, how tough has that been for, for for you to to manage the actual devices and software and, and technology as you start to grow this? Quite. Yeah, I'm Quite not surprised. Tough. We all agree.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you said scale up, i I got a little I got a yeah. little stressed out. Actually, <laughs> uh, it uh, it for from my perspective, it's been the hardest part. Because doing the pilot, you can bootstrap it. You can get your little team of people who care about this and have a common vision—two, three, four of you. Yeah, you can use this small enough budget that you have approval to purchase on your own. uh, You know those budget limits or whatever. You you can um, you can do that, and you can create your little pilot experience in um, in isolation, which is not bad. Which is great because that's. That's the the early innovators. That's sure. the um, that's that's helping to gain a foothold in the organization. That's helping you learn and 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 struggle. And so, um, I feel like we're experts at doing pilots. And uh, and my my group would agree we're not experts yet. at scaling up. Um, so, but what I've learned about scaling up, the key is broad buy-in. It's it's not going to be Chris who scales up xr at at my organization it's going to be the organization it's going to be all of us there's a reason why we have trainers sales reps i.t uh, finance marketing there's a reason why a large organization has all those functions because they're all critical and they're all necessary and if you remove a single one the the whole the whole thing falls apart and so having all of those teams together is um is really important because they can answer the questions that I can't answer. So I'm an educator and that's great. I can answer some things, but when it comes to device security, <laughs> yeah. I'm totally lost. I have no idea, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, sanitation, uh, sourcing new vendors. We're not just going to our normal vendors that we work with now. We're having to discover brand new vendors. Hmm. Um, we've got to create new types of content that we haven't created before. Yeah. We've got to manage the hardware and the inventory, both on site. How we deploy it, how we get it back once it gets to the location. We work in hospitals, so oftentimes you can't get a Wi-Fi signal inside a cath lab or in a procedure room that's underground or with lead-lined walls because you're using X-ray and they're protected against the radiation. Um, we have to deal with uh, protected personal information and make sure that we're following all HIPAA rules, that we're not transmitting anything. Um, and that could be stolen or lost in the process or stored somewhere. That's not as secure. Uh, we, you, you gotta answer questions about, about budget is these are budgets that don't exist. So that's why you need the whole organization everyone to look and say, we have to create a new budget category, or we have to not just do this because it's fun or innovative, but because it will add value and so it's worth taking budget from somewhere else um what happens when their stuff breaks you got to deal with it help desk type stuff um you got to deal with the changing technology I'm not I don't know what the next headset is but there are people in my organization that do and so bringing all of us together that broad buy-in that's my number one advice for anyone who's who's done Twelve pilots and is on their thirteenth, <laughs> or who uh, who hasn't yet and is, is trying to figure out where to start. That if you if you want to scale, that's going to be critical.
1: You know, I uh, Scott and I get asked a lot about uh, you know how how do you prepare for a job in XR? You know, and, and so uh, when when we tell people that there's not really a background that sets you up super well for. You know the background in xr or necessarily is tailored to i think that's uh maybe frustrating sometimes because it's it's a little more loose than what people would like but if i had to say there's a skill set to have uh if you're going to be an xr practitioner in a business it would be just building relationships with people from that are multidisciplinary because to your point like this this takes a village there's no you know, oh, you know, Dane setting up VR for everybody. It's like, you know, this is, this is a a full company kind of effort in, in adoption. And then also, you know, uh, we've had use cases where like our accounting team has come up to us and said, Hey, it'd be great if, if we could do this. And it's like, man, you know, from an ops perspective, I would have never thought about that uh, potential use case. And so not only do you get the benefit of, you know, all the experts across the business helping to apply things, but I think it also expands the scope of what the capability could provide, you know, to the business overall. And, um, you know, one thing we found is that, you know, for those that are, that are getting started, if you get some headsets and you get a good first use case, then the, the barrier to entry for the second is lower because, you know, you have headsets, you're managing the devices, and that's a lot of the battle and so I'm interested if you kind of have the same experience where, you know, you you feel like you were able to to seed, you know, seed the ground with uh, the seeds, and then when the first ones popped up, you know, was there more kind of demand afterwards, or um, had you have you have you guys had to be more, um, kind of calculated, I guess, in the way that you're you know moving forward uh, with the trainings. Yes, it it takes a
2: village, and it takes those those folks who are, are piloting, who are taking the risk. Mm. There are, what I learned was I'm not the only one who's taken that risk and my team, we're not the only ones who've done that there for us were other teams around the organization who also took that risk also piloted. And, um, and recently we found each other and by (laughs) finding each other that's helped us to go to the rest of the organization and show our success over here, their success over there, and and come together and start to try to scale up. My team just spent, just uh, two days ago, they were all together uh, doing a multi-year strategy session on XR to say, Mm -hmm. what's our plan for the next several years? And even though I'm part of one business unit at Abbott called Vascular, we, we have Uh, dozens of business units across medical devices and uh, nutritionals and diagnostics and pharmaceuticals and um and it's all across the, the board we we came together starting kind of with our vascular group but invited some of those others who also have been seating in their own respective areas and did this joint session uh we also had participation from a central corporate team who's looking at this as well. And that team was uh, really critical and they're, they're excellent partners for us. And so all of us who were doing our little pilots have come together and, and yes, I think it does in our respective areas, soften some folks up, uh, to see the value of it. But also we're realizing that there's, there's, it's more than a trickle. There's a a little miniature tidal wave. And when we all come together and, um, that's been really helpful. The other thing I would say, Dane, is that you asked how we measure success before, and I talked about moving people along that learning curve, but we also do measure success with data. So mm-hmm. if, if in our first experience, we had a, a tool that was a VR tool that was used for a sales rep to educate a physician, and typically they might do that through traditional in-servicing. But instead of doing a traditional in-service, they used this tool, and their respondents said that they were um, they were retaining the information better. That's seventy percent higher retention of information. They were fifty percent more engaged than the traditional in servicing. They were fifty percent more excited than a traditional in-service. And so, those are some simple metrics, and you can get a lot more intense there. But even having a couple of data points like that, yeah, I think is also Key to scaling up, the the proof's in the pudding.
1: No, that's uh, yeah. Well, and and I hope I hope that extends beyond you know just the the walls of Abbott as well, right? Like um, part of the the goal of this podcast, and you know we can't tell you how much we appreciate you being on and sharing your your knowledge you know, with us as well. But part of the goal for us is um, because this is difficult and it takes a village. Like let's get together and start talking about what each other are doing you know in the space and uh, i call scott on a regular basis and i'm like hey this Hollands is giving me trouble what do i do and scott's like oh you know reset it or you know, we use this particular tool or you know whatever yeah. and so um it, it's really nice to have that kind of external uh support system as well of, of people who are actually doing the stuff and some of it's like a group therapy yeah. session <laughs> sometimes <laughs> too with everybody but uh no it's it's uh it's it's really cool to see like where the industry is going and, and you know the technology, how it's developing. Is there you know, I'm gonna go out on the limb and, and ask the, the scary question, which is where do you think where do you think this stuff's going like in the next five years or or what are what are the things that are exciting to you about where this space is going?
2: I think no one knows.
1: Yep. <laughs> but,
0: but if Dane does.
1: No, no. Yeah, just tell us, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, Scott's put me on the hook, but I don't know anything, so uh, I'm going <laughs> to defer to Chris. <laughs> the there I
2: there are some possibilities. Um, and just just my perspective. Uh, I I don't consider myself an expert here, but as I as I listen to others who who shared some insightful thoughts, one that constantly comes up is is enterprise first. That that there's a lot of stuff in the news about you know how how good or not mark zuckerberg might look in the metaverse and um and and many people think of the metaverse as the place where we go to play games and do fun things but the enterprise first that strikes me as accurate that enterprise is the first place that the metaverse will come to us because uh you have very focused use cases Mm -hmm. And uh, you have these these controlled situations. You have usually controlled audiences that are tightly targeted, and so the value can be precisely identified in an enterprise use case. Versus trying to make a game that is interesting to three hundred million people mm-hmm. uh, is not quite as targeted. So, so I I think that that could be part of it. I think. Also, it's not just about the technologies like the goggles and the glasses, but it's going to be about an interface of multiple technologies. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about the Internet of Things. And it's not just going to be goggles and phones, but there will be the thing that we all have on our desk. Mm -hmm. Many, many years ago, a desk was the place that you wrote stuff on. You wrote stuff on. You know, that's for your, your pen and your notepad. And now it's not. Some people don't even have space to write something. It's it's the place that you put your monitors, mm-hmm. and e- even more so now it's the place you put your monitors. But oftentimes people have that little stand for their iPhone as well because they they got to do quick you know video conferencing. And I imagine your guys' desks have all sorts of gadgets <laughs> on them, and and uh, yep. just yeah, right within arms' reach. There go. <laughs> so I think I think this whole idea of like the Internet of Things. Um, 5G, uh, artificial intelligence to help create experiences that are relevant for me personally. I think all those are going to come together. And I mean, th- there are instances in the past where you, you have some, some uh, enabling technology like the transistor, but it's not really about the transistor. It's about computers and smartphones or right. you know they made improvements in making steel, but it wasn't just about making steel stronger. It was about uh, skyscrapers and railroads and telegraph lines and things like that. So um, I think that's another, another thing to look out for. And then I think about where the future is for healthcare in particular. I think that's part of the answer. I think healthcare, it will be in healthcare. And for a couple of reasons. First, because the physicians, really physicians who, who have, they have to know so much and be constantly current. They need to be constantly talking to other smart people and connected with other smart, other physicians, people who are experts in their field. And it's not always enough to do a phone call or to read a peer reviewed paper in black and white, where all the data is crunched into, you know, really small text, you, you might need an experience or you might need to say, hey jump into my my lab my cath lab here in seoul south korea real quickly for a few minutes to see what i'm doing and this is what i'm talking about that picture paints a thousand words and then in healthcare i think also for patients uh we we have already started doing some some work for patients as well so we have uh, a number of devices and machines uh, diagnostic instruments that test blood for safety And so we test a lot of the blood that's in the global uh, blood supply that's donated. But uh, there's essentially a shortage now. Younger people are not donating as much as prior generations were. So average age of donation is 55. And in order to help get over that, um, some of my colleagues did some research and, and figured out that one of the main reasons that people aren't donating blood is needle phobia. They're afraid of of someone sticking a needle in their arm and they don't want to go through that experience. And so they looked at a couple of XR solutions and one they came up with was a mixed reality solution that you you put on the glasses while you're sitting in the chair donating blood and. um, And you you're greeted by this uh, this peaceful orb named Willow that invites (laughs) you to plant some seeds in this virtual garden. And since your arm is immobilized because you're donating blood, you use your eyes to pick up the seeds out of a satchel and plant them. And then they all bloom into this really magnificent garden. So you're giving life to this garden while you're giving life to another human being at the same time. Wow. <laughs> and, um, it's, it, helps, it helps to encourage this positive thing. And, and if you were to go into a, a blood donation center, you'd probably think that was really cool and innovative. But in the future, that might just be what blood donation centers are. It might just be a normal part of it. So I think healthcare will also be at the tip of the spear um, and I hope to be a part of that. So I I know I've talked to you about this before,
1: Chris, but like, you know, in my in my college years, I thought I thought I wanted to go to med school. And so you know, my background was biomedical engineering and I was I did all the tests and, you know, all that stuff. And then I thought to myself, like, man, I I don't want to be here for the next 15 years (laughs) (laughs) to to get my my M.D., like, do you think that there's a potential for technology like this to help in, I mean, certainly enhance the process, but like help speed up the process where, you know, potentially you could, uh, because you have such richer, you know, educational experiences or something you could, you could speed that process up. Um, cause I imagine there's going to be like, like every other industry, I imagine that there's probably a shortage of doctors as well.
2: I, I think it will. Some med schools are already doing this. Some hospitals and institutions are already doing this for their staff. And uh, the data show that it does accelerate the learning process. Um, and not only accelerate it, but but gives you higher quality as well. So when you actually do that procedure for the first time, it's not the first time. It's the second time or the 50th time that you've done that procedure. Uh, Yes, I think that that is, uh, I think that's a very, very central use case and it gets you from the, the theoretical book learning to the real mm-hmm. practical learning. My school's motto was "learn by doing, and mm-hmm. I, I, always felt that that was so relevant. Um, there's one physician that, uh, who I consider to be a, a, a great partner for us. And he's done some surveys of fellows where he asked them about a certain technology how many of you are, are comfortable and competent on this technology? And oh, 70%, 80%, 90%. And then he's taken them through actually doing it in a simulated environment and, and found out that, well, the numbers are more like 20%, 30%, 40%. <laughs> so yes, when you say, there, I mean, it's we, we, need, we need good doctors, we need more doctors. And uh, I think it could be a real central part to that.
1: Do you guys have any? Uh, and sorry, Scott, I'm kind of commandeering this whole <laughs> whole conversation. I'll, I'll ask one more question, and I'll throw it over to Scott for, for more. But um, do you like this? Is fascinating to me. Oh, Dane loves
0: this stuff, by the way. Thank you for coming on, Chris, because yeah. he wants to talk to me about healthcare stuff all the time, and I'm like, oh gosh, okay. <laughs> Dane, if you um, need a fix, just text yeah, me.
1: Yeah, right? yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. No, like, well, so, like, one of the things that we find in manufacturing is people, you know, come in and they go through the VR experiences, and then they go, you know, maybe I'm not as well cut out for this particular job. Maybe it's, you know, something's hmm. too high for me to reach, or you know, something like that, Uh, do you guys or or have you seen yet with like fellows where you know maybe somebody thought they wanted to be an anesthesiologist and then they go through the experience and they're like, man, once I try this, you know, this real experience, like maybe I want to be an orthopedic surgeon (laughs) or, you know, something like that.
2: Yeah, that's that's brilliant. You you would have made a great doctor. (laughs) That's Uh, that's a really great insight. Uh, I've not seen that in my experience, but I have heard when talking to some doctors where they say things like when I did my uh whatever nephrology rotation or I did my wound care rotation I realized I don't want to do that Mm. and so like all of us have had those experiences you you try something out and if you can close a door that's just as critical as being able to open another door for someone's career or your just life happiness so I I do know that's the reality for when when doctors have gone through actual experiences, um, fortunately, no no doctors decided to quit after doing <laughs> of our our X R. But uh, but I I think you're that's very insightful, and I wonder it's going to make me think now about as we look at our hiring profile for new employees, and if you can make that decision soon, and help the new employee jointly make that decision with you soon that or the prospective employee even that it's not the right fit. That's a win-win. They're not going to work at a company they don't want to work at, and you're not going to get the person who who doesn't feel like it's the right thing for them.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. th- that's kind of a
2: cool thought to, to shift earlier that decision-making rather than we trained you, we invested in you. And at 12 months you told us it's not the right place for
0: mm-hmm. you. So being part of the XR at work family now, Mr. McGlone, right? So being on the podcast and, and uh, we we love meeting new folks. Uh, you know the 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 big reason why Dan and I started this podcast was because we wanted to provide insight like yours to to others who are uh, in similar situations. Uh, we've not had anyone from the the healthcare side on the on the show, so thank you again. This is terrific. But I mean, as you think about new people, because we 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 exist to try and help new practitioners uh, in XR give them a sense for there's other people's going through this. People have experienced some of the issues they're facing. Um, kind of maybe a, sometimes some advice on how to start up or some pitfalls to look out for. I mean, you know, if you, if you could say something to our audience around, you know, what, what should they keep in mind getting into XR in the enterprise um, uh, side of things, what would your guidance be? Kind of what's your, your tips for, for new uh, men and women getting into situations like ours where they, they're going to start championing, championing XR in their enterprise. What's, what's your, what's your advice there? This is a
2: very collegial community. Hmm. That's my read that as I entered this community, uh, one of my instant realizations was everyone wants to help. And it might be because we're all, prior to the chasm and we're all the innovators and early adopters, I- at least in this regard. And so we are, we're excited about it and we can see past that chasm and we can see what the future holds. And we know that a, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so we wanna help everyone mm-hmm. succeed. So that is a, a word of encouragement that it is a collegial community. And you guys have been really incredible. You, you've you answered some, some great questions for me You've connected me with other thought leaders in this space, um, and so it's just—it really is just a, a, a great feeling. Scott, you and I met in person for the first time mm-hmm. at, at the uh, AES Augmented Enterprise right. Summit uh, a few months ago, and that was um, that was great too because I, I I got that sense there. Everyone wanted to share. Everyone yeah. wanted to brainstorm. I was able to connect with other colleagues within healthcare, and. know we shared ideas back and forth and talked about our our common struggles so that'd be the first piece of advice Um, for those who are committed or want to commit now i think some of the things we talked about are are relevant so you want to focus on your user first you want to focus on getting that right use case and then allow the technology to overlay on top of that so if it's someone who's let's say it's for education like what i do someone's in the Awareness phase of something, the solution might not be a high-end multi-hundred thousand dollar solution. It might be a 360 video that they can watch on their phone, which they already own. Or or if it's uh, you you might need to take someone a little further down that learning curve through some emotional experience, like uh, like firing Barry or something <laughs> like that. Or Barry. Right I, I'm sure he's probably found a better place. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm sure.
1: I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so so yeah, finding that right use case and, and then and then you can pilot, but also working, knowing you're gonna have to get that broad buy-in. There's not gonna be any secret silver bullet that you come up with on your own, and then everyone gives you awards for. It's gonna be the whole team, all of the departments, everyone working together, and the organization has to align to it. And I don't know if this is maybe not, not the right guidance, but I also believe it might not be the right time for some organizations and some people. Hmm. And I might advise that you wait, wait three or four years until you can get the off the shelf solution that is easy and low cost. Um, I mean, how, how many different types of hardware? have you guys gone through in the last three or four years? I don't want to talk about it <laughs> yeah. too much, man. <laughs> and so some organizations can't afford or shouldn't afford yeah. that. And you should just yeah. wait until someone's built this real easy solution. Some people back in the, what was it, the nineties and, and needed a, a car phone or a, a cell phone. But then, but that was a real special circumstance. Just wait until everybody can get one really easily and it's going to work out as well. So. It, that could be a solution too.
1: I think that's very sage advice and uh, good advice, man. Yeah. And, and there, you don't hear a lot of people that would say, you know, maybe it's not for you, but I, I think that's like a, that's an honest um, evaluation that I think everybody in the space needs to have. And I, I think we even, you know, internally when we bring on tools, like we have to think about that consistently too. Like, are, yeah. is this still the, the right, thing for us Mm. to be doing, um, even if we've been doing it for the last, you know, couple years. So that's a, that's a great
0: insight. Chris, any, any questions for us or anything you want to discuss, uh, that maybe we haven't talked about today? Well, you guys, wow,
2: you're, you're the experts. Let's go, we could go for another 40 minutes here (laughs) with questions. Um, do, do you have any, any, uh, I guess, which of the things that I shared resonate the most with you? Uh, that, that you've also seen or you've heard other people because if we can get some some yeah. uh, synchronicity with some other opinions, that'd be good.
1: Well, so, so one thing that it, you you triggered in me when you said artificial intelligence you know as part of the, the ecosystem of technologies that will support this stuff. I, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to try the open AI GPT, like the chat GPT that just came out like last week. It's a new AI chatbot that they created but I've been, I've been playing with it. And the, the thing that like the circular thought that I keep having is like, imagine soft skills training with an AI where you can have an open conversation. It doesn't have to be structured, right? It could just be, you know, Hey, how are you today? Good. You know, let's talk about, you know, whatever. And it's trained on all of the internal content of a business. And it's literally just, a like you have a, a real kind of face-to-face conversation with a, an AI and it feels like a real discussion, you know, going on. It feels like that would be so impactful even for like patients, right? So not even trying to teach people something, but, you know, if somebody's in hospice and, you know, need, need a soothing, uh, companion. Like they're like the, the overlap of those two technologies strike me as being a very, very impactful one. And I don't, I don't think we've even, as far as like anybody in the space, I don't think we've even brushed the surface of that yet, but um, that was just a, a thought, you know, that, that you peaked when you mentioned artificial intelligence because it's a timely thing. Um, but I am trying to think about this as an ecosystem of technologies and also, you know, what, what different levels of development or maturity do you have to have in each of these in order to achieve specific use cases and then grow those use cases over time as, as that happens. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that struck me as we were talking is you you mentioned, you know, um, this is my summary, like don't do VR for VR sake, like make sure that you're doing VR for a reason. Um, and I think that's, that's really a, a very important, you know, piece of, what we do is making sure that we're not just doing cool
2: technology because it's cool (laughs) absolutely we we looked at a solution that someone pitched to us one time that was kind of a virtual scenario of of practicing conversations with it might be a a sales rep talking to a doctor it might be a doctor talking to a patient and when we continued asking more questions and and pressing them on it it turned out that well you just try to pre-map all of the possible conversations and that's just not possible I mean, <laughs> that's not how the world works and so if versus an AI that's creating those paths as needed is um, yeah I think that that would apply across all industries because everyone needs to talk to people and practice productive positive communication
1: well and from from my perspective in the manufacturing space you know we have a lot of folks that are retiring that are, you know, 30, 40-year veterans, you know, they're the uh, the original connected worker, right? It's just that everything is in their head as opposed to, you know, in the devices that they wear or use on a consistent basis. And I think about like if you could download everything that that person knows, like, you know, maybe it's their email inbox and now it's getting a little bit creepy, but uh, <laughs> probably there's a point, like, you know, if you could download everything that that person knows and essentially reference that subject matter mm-hmm. expert after they've retired, like what a powerful experience that you could allow people to have in, in, you know, conversation and all that stuff. So sorry, I'm getting kind of out in the left field here, but.
2: No, I'd asked I'd ask that question. So I, I, my, my next follow up question would be <laughs> what, um, Thanks for coming on to my podcast, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, You're welcome. Anytime.
2: Um, what are the, the most innovative or most dramatic or most inspiring ideas that that you guys have heard as you've talked to I mean, other people on this podcast or just in other conversations? I mean, may, maybe that was it because that was pretty, pretty darn inspiring. But...
1: Yeah. Well, so some of the more inspiring things that I've seen happen in healthcare, because the people that the people that are getting healthcare are in kind of dire situations usually. Right. And so, you know, the, like there is a study, I can't, I think maybe Stanford med did it or something uh, where they were talking about uh, like people who are in the hospice, you know, on a, on a hospital bed, they put them in VR and they could actually, like reduce the pain essentially that, that people were feeling without actually giving them pain medication because you're effectively distracting you know them from the situation that they're in like that's that's super inspiring to me because you know I think anything you can do to kind of maximize comfort in that scenario is you know really valuable to obviously the person experiencing it but I mean, also the family and, and everybody else, and then you know the the concept of kind of replicating the ability to ask questions of a person without physically asking them questions. I think is crazy impactful too. Like if you could take every you know uh, every writing from a person and create an AI that would respond as that person, like that, that's crazy. You know, you could have George Washington that you're asking questions about you know, whatever, like it, I don't know. It's just the, the expanse of that I think is, is incredible. So, sorry, go ahead, Scott. What's no, no.
0: I'm just thinking, you know, I was thinking, so I have, I have a daughter who's studying to be an audiologist and, and, you know, the, the, the glasses that just came out, you know, that will uh, listen to someone that you're in front of and it will give you closed captioning of what they're saying. So you can read what they're saying. If you're, if you're deaf, I mean, that kind of hits close to home because, uh, our family has a real interest in, uh, in sign language and the, uh, uh, the deaf or, or, um, audibly impaired folks. And so that's, I think you see there's really neat stuff. I mean, making, you know, some of the stuff that Dane, you or I make in, in our day jobs, you know, in our factories, it's cool. It's not as cool as some of the healthcare stuff. It's like, man, I, you know, there's, there's really a lot of use cases to explore in healthcare that I think get to be super interesting. And it's, uh it's only going to get more interesting as we go along we start to incorporate AI and and some of the other stuff. I think it's, we got some neat times on the horizon, uh, with relation to emerging technology and, and healthcare, you know, it's, it's just, it's just going to get cooler and cooler and more valuable. Yeah. I agree. Well, we really, man, we really appreciate you being here and and interviewing us, Chris, and, uh, letting us give you (laughs) our thoughts this afternoon, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm assuming that you're like us and you're you're down. If, if people want to reach out to you to, to talk about your experience in XR and kind of what you know and and use you as part of their network, you know, we would we would we'd uh, certainly encourage you like we do everyone to just you know continue on with uh, with the the networking and, and being there for others. And so, thank you for being a, a part of our network. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's a great honor.
2: I'd be happy to to get in touch with anybody who has any any questions or interests Great. or wants to just share ideas.
0: Terrific. Well, we, we appreciate everyone for, for listening today. Our guest, Chris McGlone on XR at work. Dane, thanks for being here again. And I'm glad you finally got someone who agreed with your question about, uh, will XR shorten the time of, of, uh, physician training and, and education. So that's good. Yeah, thank you're, you, Chris. you're validated. Um, be sure you hit the like and subscribe check out new episodes coming up 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 of uh, XR at work over the winter time we are uh, not traveling and it's cold outside so we're going to record some more episodes and we look forward to seeing you guys next time thanks again thank you